paranormal perception is about to be conjured into existence by 22 Creations Multimedia, LLC. Paranormal perception isn't just about our experiences or evidence of the other side. You'll also hear discussions about UAPs, crypto creatures and cryptocurrencies, glitches in the matrix, prophecies, and how they're coming true in front of our very eyes. And everything else, well, paranormal. You may agree with some of the things Henry says. You'll disagree with him as well. All we ask is the same thing you ask investigators to give to ghosts. Respect. Agree or disagree, you're about to get a new perception of the paranormal. A paranormal perception. through the new normal for the new decade. Welcome to Paranormal Perception. This is the show where you'll hear about brushes with restless spirits, battles with dark entities, glitches in the matrix, from different cultures. Warnings about our transhumanist future. Do we have answers? You have many questions. Yes, and so do you. There go some of my answers you will understand and some of them you will not. You know it. You feel it. Your feelings are correct. Now, let's get a new paranormal perception with Henry San Miguel. That's me. Welcome to Paranormal Perception. Now, in uh, those of you especially that follow me over here to Paranormal Perception from the old show, from the Geek Speak show, you remember the Halloween episodes? A lot of them started with Jeff Dwyer and also Leslie Bannatyne, Halloween historian. Now, you've heard Leslie talk about the history of Halloween, where it came from, where the traditions came from, all of that. There's plenty of books, there's documentaries, there's even a movie, although it Ended last week, although we know it's really not going to end. Um, that's not the Halloween I'm talking about, though. But so all of you, what I'm saying is all of you probably know or you think you know, or you have some idea where Halloween came from, the history of Halloween and how it became what we celebrate today. However, there was a question that I brought up uh, last week that I was thinking about. And I never thought about, about it before. And I bet you a lot of you never have either. Shut up. No, you haven't. And you, I know what you're all going to say. You're hip. No, you haven't. And that is indigenous people that are still here on Turtle Island, all over. Do they celebrate Halloween? How do they celebrate Halloween if they do? We go around wearing uh, sheets and all this stuff, getting the candy and all that. But do they celebrate this American tradition, this American holiday? Well, good thing I, I asked that question because we have the perfect people to answer that question. That is the boys on Earth and the Supernatural. Hero, Sean Clen. Hello, you guys. Now, it's a week before. I was going to say happy Halloween, but two things that went. It's a week before. I'll, I'll do that next week when we do the uh, Halloween episode. And the other is uh, 
I was thinking about that, and, and, and I think we talked about it a little bit uh, when we were at OC Paracon. We were, we, there was just so much stuff going on that we just, like many topics, we threw it out, and it stayed out there. But now that we're here on the microphones, uh, let's start with, well, actually, before we start talking about indigenous people and whether they celebrate it or not, or if, or how, the, how they do, let me talk about you two specifically. When you two were younger, and this is where you get to show off your creativity, what costumes I wore on that day. Did you celebrate? How did you celebrate Halloween when you guys were kids? Yes. 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 And yes. Hero and I have a lot of great stories of when we were growing up, uh, going to Halloween and everything. Initially, my mother and father and elders always told us, don't be celebrating Halloween. You celebrate Halloween, you're going out with those demons and everything out there. Oh, there's all these candies have fentanyl and all these other drugs and razor blades and the apple blade and the apples and everything. You're running around with boogeyman. And we're running around with boogeyman. Yana Gloshi skinwalkers are running around out there too. You don't even be doing that. But yes, here and I did celebrate Halloween all the time. And uh, for most of my younger years, I was always a ninja. Pretty funny how that turned out. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So I have fond memories of I think before. Sean Clinton can re- can truly remember what he truly was, since me being the older brother, I saw some of his cuter costumes. Oh, I remember! No. I I know what you're talking about now. Yeah, go for it. Go for it. Go. For it. Okay, so before Sean Clinton was the world of famous ninja, the warrior of the shadow, he was a Teletubby. <laughs> I was a Teletubby, and I was a flick from Bugs Life. Flick from Bugs Life. Yes, <laughs> and I would always be eating like M and M's. There was like really old, kind of like Polaroid pictures of me when I was really, really young. So, yeah, Teletubbies was an amazing show. Okay, you said it. Now, everyone that's following you, and if you're not, here's a reason to follow them on their social media. Will there be pictures for Halloween? That Mm. picture is deep within the sacred archives of our people. (laughs) And only those who are righteous of mind and heart can be able to see those photos. Oh, no. You have to be the, (laughs) you have to be a chosen one to see a Teletubby. You have to sacrifice many sheep to me alone to be able (laughs) to see that photo. I'm surprised none of you were something to Star Wars because, you know, you, we've talked, we can talk the same way we talk about paranormal when you're on here. We could talk for nine hours about Star Wars. So I'm surprised none, neither of you or both of you were ever anything, any Star Wars character for Halloween. Yes, I was Darth Vader and a clone trooper. If I never was a Jedi, I, I was, was a always, Jedi. He was a Jedi. I was always kind of more the the Empire Sith side of things all my whole life. I wonder why he became Sean Clinton of the uh-huh. dark. <laughs> yeah. What, what was it? Was it um the, what do you call it? The, just the plastic ones with the mask or, or, or did you go all out and make your own? So there's actually a funny story behind that because when we were growing up, a lot of the traditional teachings are you're not supposed to wear masks. So a lot of times, and especially in elementary school too, what really sucked about that was like during Halloween, you couldn't wear your mask in the school. And I was just like, dang it, man. So I always had like those half mask, like um, clone trooper helmets and everything. I always wanted the real one. Even to this day, I don't have one, but I still, before I leave this world, I will have a clone trooper helmet. 
Well, I don't know if you saw it in my house. There was there was actually one looking at you when you went to, when you went to the to the bathroom. The, oh man, I did see that one. On, I think my head's too big to be able to fit in there. Yeah, <laughs> my it's my son's. He has a Boba Fett in the. I think it's a stormtrooper. Yeah, it was a stormtrooper last year or a couple years ago for for Halloween. Um. So that yeah, there's there won't be pictures. So we'll just tease you that way. That's what they used to do when when they were kids. However, let's get a little serious now. However, especially hero when you're gift awakened and, and you started seeing all this scary stuff it really was for real it really was scary scarier probably than casper and all the stuff that you saw for halloween not there was no great pumpkin that you saw did your view on halloween change in any way after after that awakening yeah so it went through several shifts and it, it, like when we, like my brother said as we were kids we were we were uh, pretty traditional to the normal standard um, Navajo Diné uh, family, to where we we weren't weren't really supposed to go out to celebrate too much, but our parents were still pretty supportive of us enjoying our uh, the holidays and going out to get candy and stuff. So yeah, we dressed up sometimes, and we always had our parents with us, and we never went out to any like Halloween parties, even as kids or anything like that, to a friend's house. We we stayed at home. There were even some years to where we we didn't answer we didn't answer the doors for trick or treaters. We just kept the lights off and we just kind of stayed in our in our buildings because it, little did I, did we know as kids is how real and serious um, certain certain things are out there. And it was until I got my gift that I started seeing that there are things out there that can do harm. There are things out there that try to prey on children that can get children sick, that can try to come into the home and knock on the door. And so uh, throughout my gift, just kind of real on my own, realizing that these things were around and realizing that the reality of the world around us, even just even messed up people, not, I'm not even talking about spirits or ghosts, the messed up people that are out there, it started to hit me as a teenager. And so I went through the first shift. I was like, yeah, we're not going to be doing Halloween anymore this year, especially when things got pretty serious um, out out and about with my uh, with my peers and my training and stuff like that. We didn't do a whole lot during Halloween. But what we did do is we told the stories about the death world. We did the, told the stories of death, ghosts, monsters. And we would often spook each other with these scary stories. We would spook each other with these tales, um, the elders uh, of that training. Because we were all warriors and we were preparing our minds and our bodies for battle, we would hear the scariest stories that, that even to this day kind of shake me to my core. But they, these, these stories, they, they had a bit of adrenaline to them. They kind of made us feel spooked out and creeped out. But they were fun. It was good times that I, that I fondly remember. And throughout my training, as it progressed, I kind of uh, became more lenient, I guess you could say. I, I was starting to enjoy the holiday for what it was and not necessarily be on attack or defense mode all the time. So I started opening up, we started opening up the doors a little more, allowing people to celebrate, allowing our family to celebrate and going out and just getting candy for the kids. It was mainly for the kids is why we really let let the family go out and do their thing. But um if you were to go to our household, you won't see skeletons up. You won't see, um, what else? Zombies, things like that. But you, you will see the pumpkins. We love enjoying carving pumpkins. We love hanging up lights, Halloween themed lights, maybe some spider webs every now and then. 
So we try to enjoy it a little bit. So basically you're saying you won't see the things you saw when you came to my house for OC Paragon. <laughs> not quite, not quite. <laughs> but the the other thing is, because Sean Clinton's uh, younger than you, I think he's like three three years younger than you, um, four years. So at the time, baby Sean Clinton, was he, was he still allowed to enjoy Halloween or was he told, no, you can't enjoy Halloween now? At the time, yeah, he was able to enjoy it. Um, he was still dressed up in all like that, the Teletubbies costumes and flick. <laughs> and um, our parents would still take us out. That We still enjoyed going trick-or-treating, going door-to-door. Um, we were still little kids, and he hated. He would not go anywhere near a house that was over-decorated or dressed to the nines and Halloween stuff. So I usually had to take his bucket and trick-or-treat for him. He would always be <laughs> clinging to my mom or my dad. It was, I remember this one house in our old hometown, you had to actually go inside someone's house to be able to get the candy. And then they had like, uh, kind of like those strobe lights kind of thing in there. And then they had like some creepy costumes inside of there. Like you go into like the front door, there's a, there's a candy right there and they would come out in the hallways inside of their house and scare you. And I remember as a little kid, I didn't know what I was looking at. Like, I just saw strobe lights and these figures just walking through it. I was just like, what the heck is that? <laughs> Traumatizing, man. And then we lived, at the time, we lived at a very haunted house, too. And it was just like, yeah, I was a very traumatized little child. What is real and what is fake? Honestly, I couldn't distinguish the two at that age. Our young minds <laughs> couldn't distinguish it. Yeah, no, you're saying it. It's You're kind of describing the beginning of a horror film, really, is what you're describing Pretty much <laughs> where Michael Myers first started out. So everyone keep an eye on me, real for please. Just yeah. kidding. <laughs> Halloween began there, and then it ended last week. The way it ended, if you saw it, we won't spoil it here. Um, so uh, go, let me go back to you, hero. It, when when you got the teachings, what if anything, if you can talk about it, did, did the teachings mention specifically Halloween? Did they warn you or say anything about the uh, the American holiday of uh, Halloween? So when it comes to Halloween, what we were always warned about as warriors was to kind of keep an eye out on the neighborhood. Um, As you see the ghosts and ghouls and all the kids just kind of going around in their costumes and trick-or-treating, as a a warrior of your tribe or a warrior of your village, of your area, you keep an eye out and you walk amongst the children, you walk amongst the family, you walk amongst the village, and you make sure that everything there is a child. And if it's not, you make sure it's there for good intent. Uh, the Halloween close to Dia de los Muertos, and this is close to the fall time, harvest time. And so usually around that time, there's a lot of transition. There's a lot of, of, of spiritual movement, a lot of spiritual uh, beings and happenings and ceremonies getting ready for the winter. And so the spirits will still come out. They'll start kind of going closer to homes. Um, things will still be moving about, but we always had to make sure that everything around was there for a good purpose. Not everything was. There were several times where we were called to what was supposedly a fake haunted house turned out to be a real haunted house, and things started moving around. Uh, the props were no longer props. The dolls were no longer just sitting in their chairs. Things got pretty spooky and pretty wild a lot of times. So we were always told that they were very spiritually active times because like how when we wear masks or when we wear our regalia in ceremonies, you start becoming 
that that creature or that being you you call upon these spirits to kind of overtake you and in halloween sometimes the darker entities took that as an invitation to possibly have a little too much fun so i mean one of the people that said it here i've said i've had other guests that said it before uh patty negri all of us know her and some other psychics i've had on they all they all say that during this time that's when the the veil gets thinner between between our world and their world uh in your experience, is is that true, or is it is it thin all the time? Not just specifically on around Halloween. There's a specific thought process. I guess the theory can go around that. Yes, it does, especially during pop culture days, uh, pop culture and how it hit, has come about. People tend to watch a lot more horror films. People tend to want to be spooky. They start to become uh, more indoors. They start like bringing their harvest in and everything. Historically speaking. It was a time to come inside, come indoors. And the the theory is, is that when everyone starts thinking spooky, when everyone starts thinking horror, slasher, and they start thinking dark or evil things uh, are out there, it feeds some spirits. It feeds some beings, especially like the phantoms. They feed on fear. And so they get to go out and they get to feast and they get to be able to enjoy all this energy that's being put up all around the world. And in a sense, it's not necessarily the veils getting thinner. It's just the spirits are getting fed a lot more. So they're able to come out more. They're able to interact a little bit more. And then, like I said, ceremonies are happening. So it's a open invitation for beings to come around. Kind of tend into that a little bit. Uh, there's probably some people listening right now. Could even be indigenous people that are listening. They're probably rolling their eyes like, it's. It's just a holiday. People are just dressing up. Kids are just having fun. Just just have fun with it. Light, lighten up a little bit. Yeah, you can say that. It's just a holiday. It's just kids having fun. However, as we all know, when you start getting older, and all of you listening, you know it's true. When you start getting older, the costumes start getting a little bit more revealing. The horror gets a little bit more violent, more more satanic even. So by by doing that, when we start getting older, we get more. And that's what Halloween is to us now. Are we inviting uh, darker things uh, just by doing that? By this kind of stuff that that we think is just uh, just harmless fun. It's Halloween fun. Are we inviting darker things by doing that? I think secondhand wise, maybe it's not. Uh, everything has to be de- dealt with intent. Um, the big thing is. When people get the open invitation to do like what we're talking about, the satanic rituals and everything they get in for some reason, they like doing it during the spooky season. For some reason, they like bringing out Ouija boards. For some reason, people just want to be creeped out. And so they start trying to interact with spirits. They start trying to go to haunted locations, real haunted locations. They try summoning beings that are beyond their understanding. And it's those ones and those kind of rogue ceremonies, those rogue summonings that cause havoc that kind of bring things onto this world that aren't kept in check so uh having around having harmless fun that's okay but always watch your intent and always watch how far you take that fun be careful out there but you can still have fun yeah yeah definitely be be careful because and you've said it many times uh yeah, i think you've said it once on, on the show but you've said it in you know in private when people start getting health issues and bad luck or whatever, and you've been playing around with that stuff, well, you might know why, you know, all that's happening to you. It's exactly what Hero is saying. So 
Let's get to start wrapping up with the question, the question that we started with. Do indigenous people in 2022, do they celebrate Halloween? And if so, how do they? Okay. Yes. Indigenous people love horror. I got to say that. It's just, I talk to all my cousins, talk to all my friends. They just love spookiness. They love scariness especially around this time. And I have to say that our indigenous people have some of the scariest haunted houses out there because I've heard stories of some haunted houses over on the reservation where it's, it's like not a nice building. You know, it's like one of those old rundown ruins, ruins, I apologize, where you have to pretty much go through the whole building and you have these native people that come at you with chainsaws and everything. And, if you ask a native, the most scariest thing is a chainsaw because we use those every single year, almost year round chop wood. <clears throat> we know the damage that thing can do. And my, for me personally, that's one of my biggest phobias. Whenever I go to a haunted house, I remember I went to one in particular, there's a dude that came at me with a chainsaw and he rubbed the blade. They didn't have the blades on there, but you could, they still had the extension on there. He rubbed it on the back of my legs and I screamed so loud because I just thought my, my flesh was going to get ripped off and everything. But definitely our indigenous people do celebrate it. Uh, it's a lot of fun. You get to go out into the community and just be creative and spooky because it feels like a lot of our people all the time are uh, kind of in, inside their home. So they get to go express themselves in these horror movies and everything. They're very much so like the rural communities of uh, like the mid, uh, middle, middle United States. The reservations, there's not a whole lot to do out there no, quite normally. There's not, a, there's not a bunch of movie theaters. There's not. Some of them don't even have electricity. Some don't even have running water. So what does a native do for entertainment? Well, when it comes to the spooky side of, of uh, spooky season, they like to go to haunted houses. They like to tell scary stories. And indigenous people are some of the best storytellers out there, especially for horror. And with nature being as it is, you kind of get an overactive imagination and you can run wild out there on the res. And it's fun. It's amazing. And we grew up with that. Hence why I think we're some good horror films are on the horizon. Oh, and that's one of the main things too that makes it scary because we have skinwalkers that run around out there too. Makes it even more scary. Some of it's real. Oh, yeah. I was going to say actual skinwalkers, not, not, you know, like what you see on TV that, you know, that those, that's just makeup. Those are masks. You know, you're talking about the real thing. People always say the scariest movie I've ever seen is the exorcist. So what you're saying, Sean Clan, for the indigenous people, it's actually the Texas chainsaw massacre, not the exorcist. Yeah. <laughs> well, could be that one. And, uh, also another one is tremors. Oof. Oof. There's just a bunch of sand out there, so there's, it, it, even though it's a monster flick, it's still, you, you try to look around for rocks, like, okay, just in case there's something underneath the ground. <laughs> instinctually, be instinctually you gotta, for rocks. <laughs> where do I run just in case? That's a that's a indigenous young person's mind. But that's why you guys have that face sometimes when we're at Vulture City. Yep. <laughs> always, look, always look for the high ground. Yeah. Um, so to wrap up, finally, uh, obviously, 
like the movie, even though they say that was the end. We all know it's not the end. They're going to do a remake. or Michael Myers is never going to die. We know that. But the, the holiday, it's not going to go anywhere either. It may change. It may look different. I mean, like 2020, it looked really different because of the pandemic. But, you know, traditions change. People change. Uh, customs change. So it's not going to go anywhere is what I'm saying. So for you, Hero, specifically, decades from now, like we always say, when you are an elder and you're passing on the knowledge, the teachings to the next generations, how will you talk to them about about Halloween? Because they're going to see it no matter what. I'm going to scare those little shits. <laughs> I'm going to tell the scariest stories. I'm going to play all our episodes, all, all the things that we made. I'm, I'm going to do everything I can to scare them. I'm going to be the fun grandpa. And out of, but, nowhere, out of nowhere, I'm just going to come out of the closet with Hero's death mask and just scare our grandchildren. Yep, yep, yep. No, but, <laughs> but on a serious note, uh, you we, we teach our children to be careful out there, whether it be... Um, just kind of going out and about even beyond Halloween, you be aware of your spiritual surroundings. You be aware of what things could be heightened, what spiritual activities could be heightened, what spirits could be around based on the time of year. You be aware of your surroundings. You go and have fun, interact, be social, laugh, but always have your ears perked and always be ready for combat. Yes, that's what you will get in the future. So, there, there's uh, hopefully the answer. Some of you got so the answer. Do do people do natives do they do they celebrate Halloween? Now you know how and yes or no and how they they do that. Now we're gonna um, take a little break here. We're gonna come back and we're gonna go on the uh, on the Queen Mary, the haunted Queen Mary. We'll talk. We'll, well, I'm gonna replay an uh, an interview I did at uh, OC Paracon. You'll hear about the the haunted history of the Queen Mary. But we're gonna tease. Don't tell them what last year. Pretty ironic, actually, almost foreshadowing the uh, the stories, the scary stories that you guys shared on the Halloween episode of last year, especially heroes. They were very, for those of you that were at OC Paracon, they were very Jolska like. They were, went back to creation, and and you talked about uh, about those those kind of stories, and some some really stuck with some people. Again, like Jolska stories did at OC Paracon. This year, you've told me what it is. This year, they're going to be a little bit different, a little. Yes, scary. It is Halloween, but also a little bit more lighthearted because it's more about them. We won't say what. If you want to know what that is, because you guys have, they're starting to like the listeners, the, the the viewers. They're really starting to like the the other side, the lighter side of unearthing the supernatural. They they like the fact that it's not just ghost and supernatural twenty four hours a day. They they like that you have a fun set. So we'll hear a little bit of that on next week's Halloween episode. So uh, until then, guys, uh, take a break, get your stories ready, and we will be back next week for the Halloween episode. The nights are longer, darker, colder. All that's needed is a warm beverage and paranormal perception. We'll be right back. Did you get a call or message that mentioned Social Security that made you feel threatened or scared? That is not the Social Security Administration. Social Security will not threaten you, press you for personal information, or demand instant payment. Social Security does not accept payments by gift card, prepaid debit card, internet currency, or by mailing cash. 
Criminals use these forms of payment because they are hard to trace. Don't fall for it. Hang up, ignore them. Report this criminal activity to oig.ssa.gov. Produced at U.S. taxpayer expense. It's almost time for the Halloween episode. And that means your ghost stories. While we wait, more paranormal perception. And another episode recorded live at OC Paracon. I don't know when you're listening to this. Might be the middle of October, might be early November, but this was live on location in Orange County. With me is one of the special guests over there. You've heard her here before. One of the special guests that was there. She did an entire presentation Sunday morning all about the Queen Mary, but the haunted history of the Queen Mary. I mean, it's paranormal perception. Why wouldn't it be talking about a ghost? So it's Nicole Strickland. Nicole, how are you doing? I'm doing fab- fabulous. How about you? I'm, I'm, I'm good. I'm good. I'm enjoying my time here at uh, OC Paracon. Me too. Thank you so much for putting on this fabulous event. It's awesome. Yeah. Well, good. it's because of you guys. Well, you have to take some credit too. Yeah, know, all of you guys bit. do. Yeah, I give you the platform. You guys, you guys provided the content. Absolutely. But yeah. well, well, that's actually what I what I want to talk to you about on this episode. The, the last time I think we it was just uh, get to know Nicole Strickland because it was your first time. But now, since you have so many books and obviously you did a, an entire presentation on, I think you might know a little bit about the Queen Mary. Just a tad, I think. Just yeah. a tad. So, so for those <laughs> listen, you may like I said, you may know. The history of the of the Queen Mary, but I'm gonna have you talk about, of course, because it's paranormal perception, the haunted history of the Queen Mary. So, uh, where does where does it start, really, the haunted history? You know, I've actually tried to research that, and I don't actually know the first claim. Now, I think it might even actually go back to the building of the ship. Now, there actually have been a few crew members going back into the 40s that had experiences on board. But most of them have occurred since, to my knowledge, since the ship came in Long Beach in 1967. So when the ship was opened as a hotel and a museum and an attraction, that's when a lot of the claims were reported. And even to this day, people are from all walks of life come on board and they have similar experiences seeing apparitions, seeing shadow figures, uh, hearing disembodied voices, having personal experiences. So there's something magical. There is just something about the Queen Mary, for sure. It, uh, I'm not sure. It did, did it serve in World War II? It sure did. Yes, it was a troop ship. So her and then her sister liner, the Queen Elizabeth, were uh, requisitioned mainly for two reasons, size and speed. So, yeah. Were there, were there deaths? Yeah, many, actually. So uh, her World War II history, now she was a troop ship, and then her size increased. So going from like 5,000 to 10,000 to, at one point, 16,683 people on board, including troops and crew. And then she was also a um, hospital ship for UK soldiers and carried prisoners of war, Italian and German prisoners of war, as well as war brides. So yeah, there were many deaths on board. And interestingly, the ship was designed for the North Atlantic route. So during World War II, it sailed in a lot of like hot, humid climate. So a lot of these guys would get frustrated, get angry, fights would break out, uh, prisoners of war would pass away. Even in peacetime, passengers and even crew died on board. So yeah, it has seen deaths. 
Are the hauntings connected to that, or is it something else? I think some of them are. Like some of the resident energies, for example, William, uh, William Eric Stark. He's a, a second, a senior second officer on board. He acts. Uh, I think it was 1948. He had a cold on board, and he thought he was drinking gin but consumed carbon tetrachloride, sadly passed away. So he's been seen on board. Um, an 18-year-old crew member by the name of JP, just his initials, just out of respect for his family, he hailed from uh, Yorkshire, and he joined the Queen Mary, I want to say March of, uh, I want to say March 30, 1966. He um, was an 18-year-old fireman, bilge cleaner in the boiler rooms, and then uh the time of his passing, he was in the aft engine room. And so they found him uh, upright, wedged in watertight door number 13 on the starboard shaft alley side. To my knowledge, no one witnessed it. So they administered morphine. They called the doctor nurse down. Of course, he passed away. He's been spotted several times in that engine room, as well as other areas of the ship. But I think there are a lot of other energies, for example, like Jackie. We don't really know her origin. She's a little girl, six, seven years old. Very uh, intelligent, very talkative. Uh, Peter James, the late Peter James, thought maybe she passed away in the uh, second-class pool, former second-class pool, but we don't know her origin. So I think a lot of the paranormal activity obviously is connected with the history, but I think there's also transient energy that comes through as well. Were the, were the hauntings, were they first started getting reported after, after she was taken off duty, or, or was it while she was on duty? I think most of them came after she came into Long Beach. So when it like when when she started opening up as a hotel attraction museum, I think that's when when more people started to stay on board. That's when the claims happened. But I'm trying to uh, I mean, that's one thing I've been trying to research going back to see, okay, when actually is the first reported account, because I'm wondering if it actually goes back to the building. Yeah. And just people just didn't talk about it, maybe. Yeah. Again, I'm thinking my guys under the supernatural. What what they always say: think beyond written history. You got exactly. There has to be something else there, you know. Yeah. And that goes back into that's a good point because you know you have all these theories that can possibly explain okay why the ship's so paranormally active and so and haunted per se. There's that connection with history, but I think there's this other layer out there as to why the ship is so active that maybe we mortals don't know. Yeah, that's actually where I was about to go. Is, is We've heard of the... Uh, I've actually heard about Jackie. Yeah. Um, we've also heard uh, some, I guess you can call them darker ones. Now those, do you know anything about those? Are those human or is that something else? I, it's, it's, I mean, based on my experiences on the Queen Mary, I, I've never really had anything like really negative per se, just for me. Uh, there's shadow figures reported, but uh, mostly in the former first and third class pool. My thought is just that those are just like a partially manifested apparition. Just, and I don't know why they're seen in that area. I mean, other areas as well. But uh, yeah, for I mean, I'm not the person to ask for that because I've never really had anything like purely negative on board. Does anyone know if there's a portal anywhere on the ship? It's, you know, it's interesting you bring that up. So it's thought, weirdly, in the women's changing rooms in the former first and third class pool, right, no pun intended, dead smack in the center. They're like, okay, well, there's a portal. I just think maybe the entire ship has a portal. That's just my thought. Yeah. Some people have said, oh, well, maybe all three funnels serve as a portal as well. I just Maybe there's many ones, but then I think the entire ship actually is a portal, so... 
Yeah. I mean, the human ones, like you said a minute ago, and that's just a few. And by the way, if everybody, anybody out there listening, if you're thinking, you know, Nicole, you should write a book. She actually has written <laughs> books, plural, on the Queen Mary. We'll talk about those yeah. in a second. I haven't linked up on the show description, but we'll talk about those uh, towards the end. But um, the ghost, the uh, human ones, because everything you just said, all the all the action, all the deaths that some were, you described, some that were pretty pretty gruesome. That kind of energy, yeah, no, that's why you would assume that's why it's it's there's a haunting there. Yeah, actually, in one one area that that comes to mind is the propeller room. So it's basically forward, port side forward of the the rudder control room there. And so during World War II. She was on this zigzag motion to try to evade Hitler and, and all the U- German U-boats. And so it was a number eight zigzag. And so it was her and her um, HMS Curacao World War I uh, escort ship. And so there was a slight miscalculation on um, coordinates. Impeccable visibility. So obviously, you know, both captains, I think the Queen Mary was off by about two degrees. And so it caused the Curacao just to slightly sail outward a little bit more. So what happened is the Queen Mary hit, sliced in half the curacao, uh, cut it in half, like I said. Those men either uh, died by drowning, burns, or being sucked and dismembered underneath the propellers. So people go in the propeller room and they have this weird energy. They feel like this, this, this sense of fear and this anxiety and this sadness. So I think that's an example of that. And then also even um, uh, our deck forward too, during that event, people can hear the phantom screams of what may be the British sailors from that incident. And so obviously that's most likely residual, but I've actually been in there and have heard that before. So... Let me get into the books now. When uh, starting from the first one to uh, all the, how many have you written for Queen Mary? Uh, for Queen Mary three? Yeah, yeah. How how easy was it to find research on it? Yeah, it was pretty easy, tedious, but easy in the sense that there's a lot of documentation in terms of other books and archives and interviews. So the first one I did, The Haunted Queen of the Seas, is basically just an over, a historical overview and then a paranormal overview. So I get into like the, the just an overview of the, the history, like I said, but hotspot locations, overview of some of the, the resident spirits on board. And then the Queen Mary granted me permission to publish some of the visitor accounts spanning like the late 1970s to the present. So they would just document, like if they were staying on board or if they visited, they would document their paranormal encounters. So I shared that in that book. It's the second book, Spirited Queen Mary, that delves more into uh, the hotspot locations and a little bit more on the personalities and traits of the the resident spirits. Yeah, I imagine the uh, just the the regular history of the the ship was easy, but uh, how about the paranormal? How hard was that? That that's research. that took a while because the the books actually span 15 17 I would say about 17 plus years of my own research, my own personal encounters, uh, other people other people's encounters that I interviewed, so it took a while. So it's it's about 17 years worth of experiences on board. You've told me the story, but let's share it with the listeners what what got you interested in, in the Queen Mary? Oh, my goodness. By accident. It was weird. So during my undergraduate college years, so I came out here for spring break in the year 2000. And so we did, did one of those uh, three-day carnival cruise uh, trips, you know, to Ensenada, to Catalina, spent a day at sea. 
And so I was first introduced to the Queen Mary in the backseat of a car. And I remember looking and I said to myself, oh, my goodness, I will be back there someday. That day came in 2005. And I remember driving, parking in the lot, going up the gangway, getting on a deck. And it was just like I felt completely at home. I felt like I had been there before. I've actually had a couple past life regressionists tell me that maybe I did have a past life on board. That seems to fit. So and the rest is history. Yeah. Weird, right? No, not really. I mean, it, it's, <laughs> it's like it's meant to be. Really. Exactly. Yeah, that's a good point. It's like destiny. Yeah. Yeah. And this oh. show, yeah, what most normal people consider weird. Nah, no, not, not here. No, not here. Yeah, no, exactly. Paranormal is welcome here, folks. Yeah. So from, from that, from the, from the first time you saw her, what, how long did it take and what or who was it that told you, hey, you write a book? That, oh my, that's a good question. I would say about a good few years. And I would, so 2005, and I would, I wrote my first one 2008 ish, and it came out about 2009. And so then I did a second edition, and that was the Haunted Queen of the Seas. And so, and then it was 2015 when the Spirited Queen Mary came out. And then I, I wanted to venture a little bit away from the paranormal and kind of have it more, not kind of, but have it more historical related for a third book. And so that was interesting. That one took about three, two to three years to write, and that is Voices from Her Voyages. So I talked with former crew former uh, World War II veterans, uh, war brides. I had to do a lot of research and get permission from other publications to republish stories from people, like maiden voyage accounts. There is a couple of eyewitness accounts from the Curacao disaster. So, uh, yeah, really great, great labor of love to write, all three. Awesome, good stuff. So, like I said, I'm not sure if you're hearing this, you guys listening, be either before Halloween or after Halloween. If it's before, we're going to tell you, I'm going to have Nicole tell you uh, maybe a scary story right now. If it's after, you already heard her, her story. Uh, but keep it to the Queen Mary. From all the times you've been been physically on the ship, what is, not scary, just, just what's your most memorable experience you've had there? Oh, my goodness. I have to pick one, right? I would say, let me go back to the first experience that I had. So it was the first time I stayed on board, and I was staying on A deck. And I, if I remember correctly, it was AO24. And I remember uh, it was late at night, and I, want, I wanted to just go walk around A deck and, and M deck and B deck because I was staying on board. And I remember uh, going out of my stateroom, and then I, I turned left to go forward, but something told me, you know, Nicole, turn around and look behind you. So I stopped and I looked behind me and there stood a little girl looking just like Shirley Temple. At the time, I did not know who she was. She was about maybe 10 feet from me, right center in the hall. She was wearing like a blue gown, blonde, look, like I said, just looking like Shirley Temple. I don't know if I said that. I'm tired today but um dead ringer no pun intended for shirley temple and at the time i didn't know who she was she just stood there looking at me and it la the whole experience lasted like about two or three seconds it was it played out in slow motion and then of course i learned later on that that was the sighting of jackie yeah. and a lot of people have her sightings so sightings of her and these are some of them are in, in the book or all of them are in the book. All of mine are most of mine are in the book. And I believe some others, too, with Jackie are in the book as well. Yeah. So there's so. there's a little bit about the Queen Mary. Uh, are you planning on writing any other books on the Queen Mary? Ooh, that's a good question. I don't know. Maybe if I can get more stories for the Voices book, I might do a second edition. 
Uh, I'm not sure. Maybe. Maybe I'm thinking of maybe one more, but I'm not sure. Well, yeah, you're right. We're tired because I know in a fun way. It's been a great weekend, but (laughs) you you got me thinking with uh, again, running the multimedia company. When you said voices, it does not necessarily have to be a book book. It can be an audio book. It absolutely could be an audio book. That's a good point. A lot of people are doing those now. Yeah, and not Queen Mary related, but you do. I know you do have another book coming, so tease that one. Yeah, so that's the Afterlife Chronicles. Of course, I have a radio show with the same name, so uh, that book was supposed to be published with Schiffer. Of course, uh, you know, with the pandemic and everything, uh, I've elected to just go on my own with that. And so that's the Afterlife Chronicles, exploring the connection between life, death, and beyond. Shooting for a December-January publication date, and I'm actually delving into the self-publishing route with that one. So that's that's a whole learning experience right there. Yeah, have you started that or not? Yeah, it's finished. Okay. It's just going through the editing process and the design process and all of that. So yeah, see, because I'm I'm another episode with you because <laughs> I actually actually want to do that. I'll have you and some other people, but I want to have them talk about self-publishing or just going through a because I know there's a lot of people out there, especially in the paranormal community. Yeah that have a book in them and then but they just don't know where to get started yeah so. exactly and it's it's i that's why i love talking with people because yeah. that's where the stories are you hear about people's experiences and how they their beginning started in the paranormal and so that's why i like reading books from other people in this field so yeah so i think they're wrapping yeah. up on a stage they're calling me up there but before yeah. we get out of here <laughs> let them know where the, everywhere they can find you especially the show also sure so okay so author nicole strickland.com san diego paranormal research.com my show is uh, i've actually two shows afterlife chronicles on thursday night six pacific nine eastern on wltkdb.com and of course i co-host Haunted Voices Radio with Todd Bates on Friday nights at 8 Pacific, 11 Eastern, same network. So, And I'm on social media. You can you can find me there. Yeah, and to make it easy for all of you, I'll just link up everything and just click your name. It'll be there. So it's Nicole Strickland. Nicole, thanks. So thank you for being here at OC Paracon also. Oh, my gosh. This was such an honor. Thank you for having me. It's awesome. Can't wait for next year. Yeah, and depending on when you hear this, it is tis the season. Have a happy Halloween. You too. Thank you, Henry. So next week, I wonder what we're going to do. I really have no idea. You guys know anything that's going to happen next week? Oh, yeah. It's Halloween. All of you that sent in stories, first of all, thank you for doing that. Second of all, you're going to hear them. Finally, you're going to get to share them with the world. Literally, we're, we're on the Internet. It is, it is the world listening. But you're going to hear them on the uh, Halloween episode. It's going to be out on, on next Friday. So for a Halloween weekend, since Halloween falls on, uh, on a Monday this year, we get a Halloween weekend this year. And here on Paranormal Perception, as I guess is going to become now an annual event, our and yours are ghost stories. I mean, what else will we do on Halloween? So come on back next week. We'll give you a new perception of the paranormal and provide some of the background for however you celebrate Halloween. We'll tell you some scary stories. And that will scare you next week. Was Paranormal Perception. The views and opinions heard on Paranormal Perception are those of the guests and host of the show. Factual statements are accompanied by backing data, articles or other corroborating materials, either stated on the show or included in the show description. Any views or opinions expressed on the show are not intended to malign any religion, ethnic group, club, organization, company or individual. New episodes every Friday. Visit ParanormalPerception.show to listen. At Paraperception1 on Twitter. At ParanormalPerception2 on Instagram. Paranormal Perception with Henry San Miguel. 
Paranormal Perception was produced by 22 Creations Multimedia, LLC.